This episode is sponsored by The Griot. If you have followed me on Instagram for any length of time since 2020, you know I frequent this bookstore. The Griot is more than just a bookstore, though. From healthy drinks by local vendors to home decor straight from the motherland, there is sure to be something in their store that will catch your eye. The Griot is located on 32 Parliament Road in the blue building next to the Bermuda Government Administration Building on the second floor above the Bermuda Deck Collection Agency. You can also order online at griotbda.com or call 441-261-BOOK. That's 441-261-2665. The Griot, building a better Black future together. Now back to this week's episode. Greetings and welcome back to another episode of the Sovereign Life Podcast. I have invited my good friend Mandela Fubler back to help you prepare your stock watch list. If you listen to episode 31, Mandela helped us get started with doing investing on our own. If you haven't listened to that episode as yet, visit tslpodcast.com forward slash episode 31 to take a listen. Now, in today's episode, Mandela shares why mindset is the most underrated part of most people's investment strategies. And he also shares his top tools for doing your own technical analysis. So if you are ready to learn more about investing on your own, keep listening to this episode. You are listening to the Sovereign Life Podcast, where we explore and navigate our way to financial freedom. Every week, we will discuss financial literacy and the mindset required to build wealth. You will learn the tips, life hacks, and be given the tools to take control of your finances today. These will help you to create the amazing life you deserve. I'm your host, Terry Tuku, and I hope you're ready to get financially lit. Hey, Mandela, welcome back to the Sovereign Life Podcast. Hey, Teresa. Great to be back. Thanks for inviting me back. No problem. So our first conversation was definitely a conversation to just get people to think about how to start investing on their own and to give them some tips on getting started if they have never thought about investing and they do want to get started. So for this conversation, I want us to talk about the talk to, excuse me, the person that listen to that first episode and they're like, okay, yes, I'm absolutely ready to get started, but where do I go from here? So my first question that I want to talk to you about is what is the importance of having a stock watch list? Because we see a lot of brands and companies online every single day. We interact with them on social media and some of them are publicly traded companies. So what is the importance of us having a watch list? That's a great question. And it's one that I've developed over the years. So when I refer to watch lists, I include stocks, I include other things like crypto, I would also include currencies in there and commodities. So when I'm looking at a watch list, I think it's super important in filtering out what you don't want. And there's so much noise out there, you're getting blasted with like a fire hose of information from Dogecoin to GameStop to all sorts of things. And I find for me, the watch list really helps me to narrow my focus on the assets that I really want to consider. So if I'm looking at creating one, I think one of the things I I always consider is how diversified is it? I don't want to have a hundred different stocks that are all in the technology space, because if 
technology is out of favor that day, tech stocks aren't doing well, then my whole watch list is in the red. So I want to try and mix it up a bit. If I have a few stocks, I'll usually have some growth stocks, some value stocks, some tech stocks, maybe some clean energy industrials, things like that, so that if one particular sector is not doing too great, there may be some other stocks that I can look at for that day that may be doing a bit better. I also include crypto, so I'll have at least let's say 10% or 20% of the watch list in crypto-related assets. So it could be Ethereum, for example, obviously not financial advice. Anything I mention is not financial advice, which is using the example of Ethereum, or it could be a company that is involved with crypto, like MicroStrategies, as an example. And then I like to have some currencies in there as well. So you could have like the euro dollar in there, and then commodities could be gold, for example. Like to mix it up a bit so that I'm not too heavily weighted in one area, depending on one area to be successful. And then the tools that I use in creating the watch list are Yahoo Finance. Um, it's free. I like the way it's set up. It's very user friendly. I have the app on my phone. It's easy to put things in and take things out and to also filter, uh, sort. You can sort by profits. So I like it. Not everybody does, but it's something that I find quick and easy. I also use TradingView, which is uh, charting software. They also have a free service. And I prefer to use that for more like the analysis when I'm looking at the prices and the technicals. And then for crypto specifically, I like to use an app called Blockfolio. And that helps to just, you know, group my crypto and basically houses my crypto watch list. That is awesome. And I do have a question. So I want to actually go back because you talked about diversifying, you know, your trade, your watch list, excuse me. And you mentioned like maybe having like 10 to 20 percent and possibly crypto or currency. And you also talked about like growth and technology. So for those other, I guess, stock categories, for lack of a better word, what percentage would you recommend or what percentage would you say makes sense for you and is you're comfortable with having in these different groups? Because when people say diversification, it's like, okay, yes, I get that concept, but what's the like the sweet spot? What's the number like? Is it 7% in tech, 20% in tech? Like, on, How does that connect to your risk profile and like how you are as an investor? A lot, a lot of things go into that question. So let me try and take it one at a time. I like to look at what's moving for that particular time period. So generally, I do have a, a full-time job. So generally, I'm doing most of my research on the weekends, probably later today. Today, we're recording on Sunday. Hopefully, I can do some more rec- research this afternoon or this evening. So when I'm doing my research, I'm looking at what has been moving the most. So what's in favor? Where Basically, where is the money? going. So if I'm seeing that like recently tech tech stocks were out of favor and now they're starting to get a little bit more into favor, flows are starting to move back into the Amazons and the Googles and the Apples um, of the world, I would probably look at them and say, okay, they were a bit beaten up recently. So maybe I should look at maybe getting in one or two new tech companies. It's very dependent on the current environment. And that's constantly changing. The first rule, I guess, is what's hot and what's not. And I'm trying to add the companies, especially for stocks or assets, basically, in the watch list that are hot, 
that are heating up because that's where the money is. There's a reason why money is flowing into those assets, whether it's tech or whether it's solar or even weed stocks recently have been doing really well. So I, I take a dive deeper into those to try and figure out why they're moving so much. And then I would sort of push to the side the dirs or the assets that aren't performing as well and maybe even remove them from the watch list. That is awesome. So let's talk about the listener has their watch list. They've figured out how to diversify their watch list. They know where the current environment is and they are ready to start trading. What are some of the key characteristics they should look for in their trading platform? And on the opposite of that, are there any red flags they should keep in mind when they're looking to choose their trading platform? I think it's a very personal question when you ask someone why they are with the broker that they're with. It's similar to why they bank with who they do or you know, why do they use certain apps over other apps. So I think my first reaction is it's a very personal question. So you want to find what you're comfortable with, uh, what's your personal preference. A lot of people that I speak to prefer to have a broker in Bermuda because they want to have someone that they can walk in the door and sit down face to face with them and discuss their money. And it really does come down to this is their hard earned money. And each person is different. If I had to put together a list of some of the key things that I would suggest, one of the things is fees. So when let's say you you have a short list of three different brokers, you can compare this list of items. So one would be fees, which ones have the least amount of fees. And that's, this comes in the form of commissions. It could be also additional fees in there in the small print. It could also come in the form of when you want to withdraw. How much do they charge you just to take out your money versus depositing your money? Another key one is customer service. And this is a big one for me, Um, being able to speak to a human being as opposed to some sort of robot or AI um, creature that's going to be basically feeding you out um, pre-prepared responses. Also with customer service, things like hours of operation, how helpful are they? Because if there is an issue, you want to be able to resolve it as quickly as possible. Like I said earlier, you're dealing with your money. You want to be able to get your answers quickly. Another one is reputation. So just going on, doing a simple Google search, finding out what other people have experienced with the broker, any reviews that they have, and in particular, anything negative. So if, if somebody had difficulty withdrawing their money, that would be a good thing to know before you start working with them. Or another thing could be if, you know, Let's say somebody's placed some trades, the trades didn't go through at the desired price, and you know they've had some issues with that. That's something to consider as well. The last two things I would probably suggest to look at are the regulations. So if you're looking outside of Bermuda, what regulations are they governed by? Um, some countries are a lot more relaxed when it comes to brokers, especially now with crypto brokers. There's not a whole lot of regulation. So just looking into that as well. And then also what they offer. So get a list of all the assets that you can trade. Some people don't even think about that. But if you like to trade, we were talking about Ethereum earlier as an example. If you like to trade Ethereum and you sign up with a broker, you go through the KYC process, you sign up, set up and find out that they don't even offer Ethereum. And you know what's the point, basically? So getting a list of all the assets to make sure that they're in line with what you expect to trade. Those are some ideas. Sorry. Okay, no worries. Earlier, you mentioned that you know 
you tend to do your research on the weekends because you do you are employed full time. When it comes to checking your positions, how often do you do that? And like, what are some of the things that you like to do? Like, what's your checklist like when it comes to checking your positions and checking how the current environment is moving and what types of decisions you're going to make in the upcoming week, the upcoming trading day for you? So, yeah, it's, it's a tricky balance. And I've tried to, I've been trying to perfect it over the years because my job is quite intensive and um, I try and, and work around it. So I do my best to try not to check my positions during the day. On an average day, I may take a look at it at lunchtime, but for the most part, I'm doing most of my research and my setting of trades in the mornings, sort of before I get ready for work. And then I'll look at them again once my son's asleep and I can reassess and make make adjustments that way. The only reason I would look at it during the day, if for whatever reason there was a traumatic crash or prices shot up for some reason, then I may have a look at it. But I try not to mess with it during the day. And my rules that I've set up also account for that. They take into account that I'm not going to be able to be placing trades throughout the day. And I also find that it's also very stressful. If you're glued to your phone, I tend to make mistakes if I am making sort of impulsive decisions throughout the day while I'm trying to split my focus between work and my trade. So I think it also helps if you are a little bit more longer term in your mindset. If I have a trade on, my average trade is probably going to be, you know, three weeks long or four weeks long. So during that one particular day, unless it's a crash, then I'm not really too concerned about, you know, an average day. And that also helps. Like I said, I do most of my prep in the on the weekend and it involves the watch list, which we touched on, and also looking at what the schedule of events are for that week. I think a lot of people don't consider this. Um, because a lot of people, especially just starting out, they're focused a lot on just the charts. But I think just being able to see from Monday to Friday, what are the economic events? Is President um, Joe Biden coming out with an announcement? Is the Federal Reserve Powell coming out with some sort of interest rate announcement? Is there some inflation data coming out? Also, things like company earnings. So I'll look at that before the week starts. I know, okay, on Tuesday... At the open, there's a company announcing earnings that I'm interested in. I'm going to try and prepare for that. And then maybe on Thursday at the market close, there's a company announcing earnings. So on Sunday, I'm already prepared for the week. So there's no surprises or you know minimal surprises. And I think that kind of helps to reduce the stress and to allow myself to focus on my job when I need to. Right. And talking about like, you know, the beginner investor, when you're just starting out, you're more emotionally invested in your positions. Was that you in the beginning of your trading career, your journey? And how has that shift helped you make better trading decisions? Yeah, that was definitely me. So when I first started, I was like, oh, yeah, a part of me wanted to be a day trader. So I used to be glued to my phone all day and I just wouldn't be able to do anything else. And it just sucks your time away. And I found over the years that no good really comes with just being glued to your phone. Um, you're not productive in the other facets of your life. And it for me, it, it just didn't work. Everybody's different. I also found that no good came from just staring at the price. It's it's almost like 
looking at a, a clock, waiting for a clock to tick, and it, it just moves so slow, or watching a pot boil. So I try and intentionally say, oh, I'm not going to look at my phone. Or if I do look at my phone, I'm not looking at anything um, trading related. So I would turn off notifications during the day and just focus on anything non, non-trading related. There was an example, actually, there was an experiment done by some of the top brokers in the world, and they found that for the average trader, I think it was 80% of traders um, lose money. And for some of that 20% of the traders who actually made money, they were either, they had forgotten their passwords, so they weren't allowed to go in and make any changes. They forgot about the account altogether, and they just left their trades open, or they had passed away. And that, I think, speaks volumes in that no matter what, if you're looking at something, you're going to want to action uh, you want to you want to action it. You're gonna want to make a change. Um, sometimes it's best to just leave it and just let it do its thing, kind of marinate and let it play out the way it's supposed to. And that that's one of the things I learned over the years. That is amazing. And we're recording this in Mental Health Awareness Month. And I am personally like a self care advocate. I like stay on all things self care. So how important is your mindset to your trading strategy overall? And, you know, specifically on your trading day, because that experiment obviously speaks to like the whole ecosystem that can be, you know, this stock market trading, day trading, et cetera. But how important is it for you in your specific strategy? Mindset is one of the most underrated aspects of trading. I think for me, it's probably the most important area and it gets the least amount of focus. And a clear mindset really helps to minimize emotion and all that emotional energy connected to your performance. And as humans, we all feel good when we do something well, when we win or when we're making, we're making the right decision. And we tend to feel bad when we're wrong or we're losing. So the goal for me is to follow my checklist, follow my rules, and each trade, I take it as a new experience, a new project, and I go through my list from one to 10, and I just go through almost robotically to try and keep a clear mindset and not get emotionally attached to that particular trade. I try not to fall in love with any investment uh, because I think that leads to being connected and, and not being able to to exit the trade when you need to. So for every trade, they, my goal is to feel the same. My goal is to say, I went through my rules. I completed my checklist. Now let's move on to the next trade and find out another opportunity. And that's, I think, one of the key things of being successful, because once you start getting wrapped up into, oh, okay, I think this one is going to make me a million dollars, but I'm actually down $500. And what do I do? That's not a good place to be. It's going to affect your relationships with your family and friends. It may affect your sleep. So I have rules in place to try and prevent me from ever getting into that position as well. And then I just end on saying people are also tempted by others. So if you start letting in a lot of other noise, 
into your thought process, it can make things confusing. Um, you can doubt yourself. And it also could lead to, like we were saying, depression, stress, and it can kind of snowball from there. So a strong positive mindset helps to ensure confidence and discipline. And then that results in consistently following your plan and not changing based on the emotion. Now, I know you kind of shared a little bit of like how you get set up for your trading and doing your research. But if there's anything you didn't share previously, can you take us behind the scenes verbally? Obviously, kids, we can't see of what your trading day looks like. Is there like a certain time of the day that you're doing it? And when you're setting up like your orders and adjusting them, like what does that look like? And do you have any specific tools that you're using when you're doing all of these things outside of or in addition to the ones you shared earlier with us? Sure. So I did touch on these a little bit earlier, but I can go a little bit in more detail here. So I, like I said, I usually don't do a whole lot during the workday because of you know my personal calendar, I guess you could call it, and my commitment. So I like to do a lot in the early mornings before I get ready for work or late evenings. And definitely the bulk of it would be over the weekend where I can kind of plan out my week beforehand. So I generally look for what's moving the most which sectors, which themes, and which asset classes are hot. Because if it's moved a lot, that usually means that there's something going on underneath the surface. If a particular asset class, let's say crypto, is up 15%, there's something going on there that probably deserves some further inspection. I look further into that. And then I'll usually place my orders by following my rules in the morning before getting ready for work. So I try and do all my research and all the adjustments before I go to work. And then any further adjustments that I make would be by following my rules as well. So unless there's like a really big, massive move, like a crash or something during the day, which happens maybe one day a year or something, I'm not going to really be messing with it. I may look to just see, like I was saying before, during lunchtime, See how things are going, normal day, fine, close it, and then I'll look at it in the evening. I don't like to change orders. I like to kind of stick with my plan. I'll have my target, which is kind of like if things go the way I expect, where am I going to get out? And then I also have my worst case scenario. If it moves against me, where am I going to get out? That's also key, always having an exit plan. When I first started out, I kind of just went with it and I got blown around. Like, in the wind because I didn't really have an exit plan. So that was one thing that I found was very helpful. And then almost all of my trades, like I was saying, are going to be like, you know, a few weeks long. By the time I get into the position, I want to hold it for three to five weeks. So that also helps because some people, I think, you know, depending on your personality, you may want to hold it for a shorter period of time. So that may require you to be a little bit more attentive on it. But because I have the three to five week horizon or or further, I'm pretty confident that unless it hits my stop loss, which is my point of getting out, if it moves against me, I don't really need to be babysitting it and looking at it throughout the day. I think the other thing is just having that rule space. And I don't really want to go into all the rules. I can mention some examples of them, but I found having something to fall back on and to rely on really, really helps in minimizing the time as well. And also making the adjustments. Like I don't have to really come up with any new ideas every time I'm trading. It's like, okay, this happened. So I need to make this adjustment or like the price moved up. So I need to move my stop loss up 
to this point. So that also helps. You asked a little bit about tools that I use. So I did mention them before. I, I do find TradingView very helpful, just looking at the charts. And then I also look at Bloomberg for any headlines that could maybe confirm the reason for any, any sort of moves and any themes that may be popular that day or that week. Also use Yahoo Finance for the watch list. And then I use podcasts, a few investing podcasts that I listen to. Some are daily, some are weekly. And they come up with some sort of cool ideas and they're looking at themes as well. And a lot of it is relationships. So you're looking at relationships between companies. When inflation was a big thing, they had the inflation number come out. There was a lot of talk about gold and commodities. So the relationship between anything that was in that space really, really boosted that whole theme. So you're looking at gold miners, you're looking at any company that basically servicing the gold industry was very much in favor. So I listen to podcasts that kind of highlight those things for me. But one thing I will add, and this is a really long answer, but I just I think I need to answer I need to add this. Most days I'm not trading. So if anything, like if I had to average it out, and I could probably get these numbers, but if I averaged it out, I'm maybe placing like two or three trades a week. Some week it's none, some week it's five, but I don't try to trade every day. And that's one of the things that I learned is that you don't always have to be trading all the time to be making money. Sometimes you just plant a few seeds and then you let them grow, you water them, you watch them. Um, you don't always have to be trading every day. And a lot of time it's just waiting patiently for things to unfold. That's great, first of all. And I kind of wanted to say, forget that it was a long answer because I feel like when people listen to financial podcasts specifically, like they're trying to get as much information out of the person that they're listening to because they know that there's something that they're working towards. There's a financial goal that they're trying to achieve. And they know that the person that they're listening to is further along than they are on whatever journey it is that they're on. And specifically we're talking about investing. And so I wanted to ask you, what are some of the keys to staying on track when you're trying to use market trading to get to that financial goal, be it buy a house, buy a car, pay off, you know, set up yourself for retirement. Like what are some of the things that we need to do to stay on track? Because we know that we can get emotionally invested if we see the headlines going one way or the other. What are the keys so that when we do trade, be it weekly, monthly, whatever our cadence is, that we're never going too far to the left and making a bad financial decision for our portfolio? Okay. So this is a, a fun question. I think for the top three things to staying on track, the first one would have to be having your own set of guidelines. You can call them what you like. It could be a checklist. It could be your rules. But the goal is to try and manage your risk so you're not going crazy. So one example of that would be for me is I don't let a losing trade get to more than 1% of my total portfolio value. And that kind of ties in with the second one, which is cut your losers while they're small. So the second thing I would say is, no matter how right you think you are, I think it's incredibly important that if you have a trade that's moving against you, that you get out of it as quickly as possible. You can always reassess the situation, you can get back in later, but small losses, can very quickly become very big losses. 
And this game is a lot about preservation of capital. And if you don't have any chips, you can't play. So that was one of the things that I found was one of the hardest things to do because nobody wants to admit that they were wrong. Nobody really wants to cash in a loser in your natural human instinct. But I found that the quicker I learned that and the quicker I just did it as an automatic habit, like I automatically set it so that once it's a 1% loss of my portfolio, I get out. It just became easier. The first time it was hard. The second time it was easier. And now I don't even think about it. Like if it's less than 1% of my portfolio, I sometimes get out even quicker than that. And it's one of the hardest things for people to really do. It sounds very easy. And then the third thing I would say is probably, I touched on it earlier, is just don't overtrade. Like you don't always have to be buying stuff all the time. And that's something that I used to do. I would hear somebody mention something and I would go and buy it not even do any research, not even know what the company does. But just because they said something about it being the next big thing, I would run out and, and go and get it. So not overtrading. I think there's a saying that um, alligators can go, I think it's actually true, alligators can go for a year without eating anything. They just basically manage their metabolism. And it's kind of like being an alligator and trading, waiting for that price to get to the price that you want to buy it at. You don't have to buy it today. Taking that opportunity to kind of wait and then look at what else is out there. It saves you on commission. It also saves mental capital because you're not stressing over another trade that you took on and it could be going against you. So just making sure that before you jump into something that it's at the right price and that you followed whatever rules you have and then you're ready to actually put capital into that idea is, I guess, the third key thing. Awesome. Those are keys that I am mentally jotting down. And I said this the last episode, uh, the last interview conversation that we had. I'm glad this is a podcast because we can always come back to it and we write these things down and kind of remind ourselves of these things. Because when you're in the moment, sometimes even after years of trading, you might still find yourself like, you know, ready to make that emotional decision when it comes to your trading. And so just having these keys to come back to over and over again is going to be helpful for myself, the listener, and probably you. So final question, final thing that I wanted to touch on is the number one trading lesson that you would like to share with us. What's the number one thing over your years of trading that you would say, if there's nothing else that you take away from this episode, it's this one thing? One thing, if I had to pick one thing, it's about being present and being flexible. There's a saying by Peter Brandt, which is a, a very well-known technical trader. He says that he has strong opinions weakly held. So it's fine to have your thesis about how the world is going to be and how the price is going to move, but you have to be agile and you have to trade basically what's in front of you. And I think that's very difficult for people to accept. You can get very stuck in your head. And people, I think, they tend to trade the market that's in their head, not the market that's in front of them. And I guess another example would be for a beauty contest. If you have a beauty competition, let's say there are 50 women in the beauty competition. You may think that contestant number seven is the most beautiful. And so you would bet on her. 
in actuality, it doesn't matter what you think. It's really up to the judges. Who are the judges going to determine is the winner? And I think a lot of people invest based off of their head, or the market that they have built up in their minds, and completely ignore what's actually taking place in front of them. So I think in order to be consistent, I think that is one of the key things to remember. Not to think that you're going to be perfect and always getting things right, but being able to adjust as the world around you adjusts as well. Awesome. And Mandela, before we get up out of here, remind the listener where they can find you, connect with you. And if they had any further questions, could they reach out to you? Absolutely. So I am on social media. I'm working on a few projects, actually. So the podcast that you do has inspired me to start my own podcast. So I want to say thank you to you, Teresa. So we're working on that. We're doing some testing this weekend, um, trying to get the format down. So I know what it's like, you know, building a, a podcast from scratch. So I will give you that information. If you could put it in the show notes, that the YouTube channel is not fully up and running yet, but the show is going to be called The Investing Blueprint. And I think it's going to be catered to a similar audience that you have. And it'll also be great to have you on as a guest. I think that would be awesome. awesome. Absolutely. And then if people want to reach out to me, they can email me at fubbleratlive.com with any questions. I also run a investing masterclass. I try and help people who are at this point where they've decided that they're interested in investing and they want to kind of take it further. And if anybody's interested in that, they can let me know. I also work with a friend of mine, Andrew, in London, and we have Signature FX, and we run a few WhatsApp groups that focus on investing. So anybody that's interested, just reach out to me by email, and I can get you hooked up with Signature FX, the investing masterclass, or if you just have any questions, you can reach out to me. Awesome. And shameless plug, I have done pretty much all things that Mandela just spoke up. They're all great. So if you are looking for someone to kind of give you the recommendation to review the testimonial, this is me saying you need to email him today. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) You're most welcome. And thank you once again, Mandela, for being on the podcast. It's my pleasure. We have reached the end of this episode, and if you would like to learn more, make sure you visit TSL Podcast forward slash episode 46 to access the show notes. You will also receive access to Mandela's top five book recommendations. Thanks for listening to the Sovereign Life Podcast this week. Check out our website, tslpodcast.com, for more information on The Sovereign Life with Terry Tuku. As always, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to make sure you catch every new episode. Do remember to leave us a review so that we can continue to bring you new episodes weekly. Until next week, cheers to your amazing life, Terry.